0: Our Father, this morning we gather in your name. We gather because you have come to this earth and you have and you are about your rescuing purposes. Father, this morning we confess that we are desperately in need of your saving. As we go through this season of Advent, we see the ways in which you have brought salvation to the earth in your Son Christ. And Father, as He came in Advent, as He came as a child, we also now ask that He come into each of our lives to save each of us. We confess that we often um, we often use the Christmas season and uh, the, the things that surround it for our own joy, our own benefit, and our own pleasure. And I pray that you would give us a vision again of yourself, that we may see this Christ again coming as our Savior. Father, we uh, recognize that we live in a world that is, well, is desperate for this Christ. And I pray that as we uh, go about our daily lives as we do the tasks that you have called us to do, that we would be representatives of this Christ. That we would be declaring to our co-workers, to the people we meet in our jobs, in our various activities, to our neighbors, the wonderful glory of Christ. Save us from the desire to Uh, Propose our own salvation, but may we in faith receive the gift of Christ. And may we offer that gift to a world that so desperately needs it. Father, we're grateful that you have called us to be members of your church. Your worldwide people who are building your kingdom. We pray specifically this morning for uh, the many churches in our community that are gathering just like us, that are turning to your word and are seeking to hear from you in it. We pray that your word would go out faithfully, that it would bear fruit in the hearts and lives of your people, that we all that all of the congregations of Christ Church in our community would represent well the kingdom of God and would be about His work. Guide us here this morning, Father, as we look at Scripture, as we open this text and consider its truth. I pray that you would open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, and open our hearts to to be compelled by the glory of Christ that we may walk as your children because of this word. We pray this for the glory of Christ, our Savior. Amen. This morning in our sermon text, uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 1 and pieces of Matthew chapter 2. I'll go ahead and read the text, so if you could turn to Matthew chapter 1, I'll begin at verse 18 to the end of the chapter, and then I'll pick up on chapter 2, verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, To the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord given for our instruction. The title of the sermon is Joseph's Obedience. And I would begin by asking us a question What is the value? Of obedience. What place does obedience have in your life, in my life? Last week, as we considered Mary's song of praise, it was our quest to rejoice with Mary in God and to find deep, true joy in Him. Mary has held an esteemed place in the history of Christianity. As the mother of Jesus, she was the one whom the Lord chose to bear and to bring to life this child. And then we have Joseph. Only the Gospels of Matthew and Luke Uh, give reference to the birth of Christ, and uh, interestingly, Luke focuses on the perspective of Mary and, and Matthew, the perspective of Joseph. But Joseph sort of fades away as we continue on in the other Gospels, and he's not heard of much beyond that. Joseph, in this story, seems to be a very ordinary man, a faithful man, but quite ordinary. And we don't know too much about this Joseph. Uh, We see a bit of his family history. And if you do a little research, you'll find that people give many different stories about who Joseph was. Uh, One commentary was remarking at the immense faith of such a young man. And another commentary was remarking how Joseph may, in fact, have been an old man at the time of this marriage. And so we really don't have conclusive evidence whether to defend or deny either of these ideas about who Joseph really was and what his uh, age was, what his role was in the community. And after the trip to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12 years old, we, we don't really see him again. Jesus himself refers to his mother and his brothers Uh, but we never see him referring to Joseph. But Joseph plays a very key role in the coming of Christ into the world. And this passage gives us three little windows into Joseph's actions surrounding the birth of Jesus our Savior. And I would sum up what I'd like to say by saying that Joseph's faithful obedience to God sacrificed his own reputation, it rearranged his own life, and it fulfilled the prophecies of God. Joseph's obedience sacrificed his own reputation, it rearranged his own life, and his actions, his obedience, brought to fulfillment the prophecy of God. And so in our first little window, in our first story, we see Joseph obey at the risk of his own reputation. Here we view the the complex play between the individual and the community in first century Judaism. Adultery was a serious sin, and in the eyes of the law, worthy of death for both participants. Now, the political climate that the Jews found themselves in at the time meant that they were unable to enact the death penalty, unlike when they were the rulers of their land. But they had other ways to punish and, and ostracize those who disobeyed the law. And so at best, Joseph was absorbing scorn and shame from the community. Later on, we see the Jews would chide Jesus by saying, well, at least we were not born of sexual immorality. At least we know who our father really is. At least we know our father is Abraham. So it's apparent that Jesus' birth and the mathematics surrounding it were known. And it seems that it was the habit of the community to shame those outside of the accepted norms. And so Joseph finds himself in a very complex situation. And here we see his good character. And in the first part of this this first window, uh, we see Joseph, we see his character Uh, coming forth, and this is before the angel speaks to him and tells him what to do. And we see these words, Joseph being a just man, or Joseph being a righteous man, was unwilling to put her to shame, and he resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph's actions in this place shows a lot about who he was, shows a lot about his character. He was unwilling to put her to shame. He was unwilling to make her an outcast of society, as in many ways was his right to do. It was her promise to him that had been broken. Her faithfulness, in many ways, was a debt to him. But he was unwilling to shame her publicly, and so he resolved to do things quietly. Now, what quietly looks like is that he would give her a written bill of divorce in two witnesses. And supposedly, with with whom he doesn't really even need to share the details. It just needs to be witnessed by two other people. Now, I'm sure he could have made a scene in a synagogue. I'm sure he could have made a public spectacle of this. To let everyone know how he had been harmed. But his resolve was different. And An interesting phrase that I find in here is that uh, we find that he was considering these things. It doesn't say he had a dream when he was sleeping. It said he had a dream while he was considering these things. And so we see that Joseph was a man of it was not a man who was rash, not a man who acted impulsively, but a man who Considered these things carefully and understood the, the result of his actions. And so it's to this man that the angel comes and communicates. And he promises to Joseph what Mary already knew about this child. He promises to Joseph that this child is Emmanuel. This child is God with us. And in response to the the angel, Joseph obeys. He obeys in several different levels. First, he he fulfills the promise of marriage. He completes the process of marriage in his culture, and he fulfills his promise. He respects the divine father of Christ, and he names him Jesus. Now some have said that Jesus was actually a very common name uh, among that time because it was given in hopes that this child would be the Messiah. And so by naming him Jesus, um, it, it wasn't a particularly special name. It was a very common name. But at a very simple level, Joseph obeyed. And as we look in the first window in this first story, we see that Joseph obeyed at the risk of his own reputation. But very simply, he obeyed. In our second window, we see Joseph reacting to a time of emergency. And here again, we see Joseph reacting immediately to the word from God with obedience. Is our posture towards the word of God similar to Joseph? We hear, we understand, we obey. I think we're really good at sort of complicating things. But Joseph reacted immediately to the word from God with obedience. Now, let's say one of us today, uh, this afternoon, uh, as we're reading a book or as we're contemplating as we're considering things, have a dream from God that says, "Pick up your family and move them to Houston, Texas." Random place that popped into mind. Now, how easy of that how easy would that be for you to do? Well, frankly, in the history of the world, Very, very easy. The command to take your family, take your child, and go from Nazareth to Egypt was a fairly massive ask. But yet Joseph obeys immediately. In our third window, we see that Joseph acts in wisdom. And so Joseph takes his wife, takes his child, and they move to Egypt. And when Herod has passed away, when the threat to the life of Christ is over, God again asks Joseph to return to Israel. And again, Joseph's response is obedience. But in this obedience, we also see wisdom. He's aware of the political nature of what's going on, and he chooses to live in a certain place. And so in this second and third window, we see Joseph's obedience causes him to rearrange his life in significant ways. But There's also a thread that this text gives us in in the characteristics of each of these windows. Matthew points out, as he often does in the life of Jesus, that, that in each of these windows, there's a prophecy of God proven correct. In the first window, the, the coming of Jesus fulfills the covenant of God to His people, that He will return and He will crush the head of the serpent. That he will never again destroy the earth with water due to the sin of man, but that he would rescue us from the bondage of sin. That he would bring a king who would sit on the throne of God forever. Not a king who would turn away from him. Not a king that would break his law. Not a king that would in the end serve Satan but a king who will be the sovereign of the kingdom of God. The promise would be that a virgin would conceive, and in that child, God would come and dwell among his people. Emmanuel, God with us. In the second window, God fulfills a promise that out of Egypt, I will call my son. Now, this idea of being out of Egypt is a special reality for the children of Israel. Out of Egypt instantly retells the rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt and his planting them in his land of promise. And so God promised that out of Egypt he would call his son. But this man of promise, this son of promise, unlike Moses, will not strike the rock to attain water. He will reject the call to use his power to turn rocks into bread and thus satisfy himself. This son will be obedient. This one called out of Egypt will not wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Will not fail to enter the land of promise. Will not constantly turn away to the other things that people of God turned away to. But this son will be obedient. And like Moses, this Jesus at a young age will be saved from a vicious king seeking to maintain his power by the slaughter of the most innocent in a society. And to accomplish this, God will use the obedience of the wise men and Joseph to bring this to pass. In the third window, Joseph heeds the word of the Lord to return to Israel, and receiving information regarding the the political situation there, he will use wisdom to choose to return to Nazareth. And again, this decision by Joseph brings God's prophecy to fulfillment. In these final two windows, we see that the obedience of Joseph Brings about the prophecy of God to fulfillment. The actions of a man fulfill the prophecy of God. Fulfill the promise of God. I believe in our in our minds we have this this complex interplay between what does my obedience mean in the kingdom of God? The reality is, is God uses us as members of his kingdom and as we follow and as we obey he brings his kingdom to bear in the same way that Joseph's obedience fulfilled the promises of God protected the Son of God in his vulnerable time Joseph's life reminds us that our obedience matters. Hebrews 10 speaks to this in verses 37 to 39. For, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The Hebrew writer states very clearly, my righteous one shall live by faith. Again, we have this this complex interplay in Scripture between faith and obedience. And I think often we sort of act like maybe they're different. But the reality is, faith is placing our understanding of reality in truth that is known and understood, and it brings forth obedience. Because he follows, my righteous ones will live by faith, and they will not shrink back. They will not shrink back from obeying, from following, from carrying forth the word of God in their life. Again, as I've mentioned before, it's, it's interesting to me how many times we see the Apostle Paul make this firm declaration of God's work on behalf of us. That we are saved by faith in Christ. No merit of our own. We do not obey to bring forth God's salvation to us. But God's salvation, God's act on our behalf always Brings forth obedience. Always brings forth an understanding of God's word that brings forth obedience. Joseph's life reminds us that obedience matters. And as we consider these individual windows, Joseph's faithful obedience to God sacrificed his own reputation, it rearranged his life and it fulfilled the prophecies of God. Our obedience will ask of us to sacrifice our reputation. It will ask us to rearrange our lives. And it will bring the kingdom of God to bear in our world. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we're grateful for the example we see of Joseph, of one who heard the word of the Lord and obeyed. And Father, this morning, I pray that you would embolden and strengthen us. That our faith, our trust in you would be strong. That in that faith and trust that we would walk in obedience, knowing that your ways are true, your ways are right, your ways are just. We live in a world that continually invites us to go our own way, to declare our own truth, to find within the meaning of life. But as your word teaches, the meaning of life is not found in us, but is found in you and in your sovereign purposes. And so, Father, as we understand them, as we learn them, I pray that they would result in the fruit of obedience. That that obedience would bring forth the kingdom of God in our world. We pray this through Christ our Savior. Amen.